Grave Plot Podcast. Welcome everybody to episode one four zero of the Grave Plot Podcast. I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. And guys, one forty. We made it. We made it, guys. Taylor, we made it. Is this was this a milestone? Uh, aren't they all? <laughs> I suppose. I mean, life is fleeting. You never know if there's going to be a tomorrow. It's true. You never know if there's going to be an episode 141. This is true. There may not be. <laughs> Maybe. I at this point, I don't see a reason why not, but it could happen. I mean, you never know what could happen. Big orange in the, in the White House. It's true. I just was, was reading the thing just a couple minutes ago. That apparently, he wants to like censor the internet like they do in China. Yeah, because he uh, he idolizes dictators. Yeah, and you know, it's funny how uh, all the Republicans, are, you know, basically the right ring, calls anybody a liberal, a communist, um, when their their uh, savior uh, idolizes communists. Yeah. Um, I mean, if he were to do that, you know, he would probably take us off the air. Right. Yeah. We do no good for the community. None, none <laughs> good. We don't contribute anything. We contribute dick and poop jokes. Yeah. <laughs> That's not useful for anyone. And quotes from uh, movies and TV shows that you've either seen a lot or, or never. never heard of. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're really helping out the community. We offer our opinions on movies that make filmmakers pass us out. Right. It's happened on more than one occasion. Um, that's, that's when you know you've hit it big, is when the actual filmmakers were like, hey, who the fuck asks you? <laughs> we're like, like, nobody. But I paid for your movie, so you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm sure you'll get over it while you're sleeping on piles of money. <laughs> not not going to go there. Um. Anyway, so uh, what's new, Taylor? Uh, nothing much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Last episode, we did announce that the Great Flat Film Fest uh, 2020 is happening. We are currently accepting submissions. Yeah. Um. After this, we're gonna do a video, a little video for our Indiegogo. Um, Launch. Launch. Campaign. Campaign. That's the word. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, basically same as last year. Um, you know, we've got a bigger theater this year. Uh, it's going to cost more money. Um, and we're, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're amateurs at this. So we don't really know what <laughs> we want to put in our festival yet. Um but, I mean, we have a limited amount of time. Yeah. And that's that's the thing is like a lot of our contemporaries, you know, they run for like a whole day or several days. Multiple days, yeah. Um, we are running for four to possibly six hours. So we're we're kind of a condensed version of a film festival. Um, yeah, festival is a, a generous term, but yeah, it's like uh, more like a short film. Day screening, screening. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it, it, it's a small project. 
by comparison, but it does cost money and it's frankly money that we don't have. So yeah. Um, yeah. Look out for our Indiegogo campaign once it gets launched. Um, like I said, our submissions are open now. So if you're, if you're a filmmaker, uh, head over to greatplatformfest.com and submit your, your short film. We're doing short films, 15 minutes or less for obviously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, go, go submit. Yeah. There's a $5 entry fee, which is pretty small. Yeah. By comparison to other, others are like, I was looking at some that I'd, I'd never heard of, so I didn't know how big they were, but they were like $55. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Are they features or shorts? I think they were shorts. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of money for a short. Yeah. The Grave Plot Podcast or Grave Plot Film Festival is only a $5 entry fee, guys. Hey, and if you're a local Seattle area uh, filmmaker or Pacific Northwest, so. um, if you can find the code. Um, was I not supposed to tell people about that? I mean, you can. Just, I'm not going to say the code out here because then everyone's going to have it. Oh, uh, okay. There are certain uh, local filmmaker groups on Facebook where I posted a, a promo code so you can enter for free. Yeah, if if you are a local filmmaker and you just happen to have, have haven't happened to heard about it or anything, um, just send us an email. Um, we'll vet you, and then then we'll send you the code. Yeah. But we want to encourage people to enter the, the film festival not only for our benefit but but for yours. You know, we really want to help. Filmmakers get their projects out there and get some exposure in front of a you know a theater full of like eyeballs. It's a bigger theater this year, so you know there's going to be more people to get your get your short in front of. And, and uh, we haven't settled on this yet. We're still kind of working out the details, um, but we might be showing a feature along with all the shorts. Um, yeah, it's not it's not a for sure thing yet. We're still figuring it out, but. That might happen, so you'll get a little more bang for your buck. I think as far as we know, it's the same ticket price, though. We haven't changed that. Yeah. So it's $12 for um, potentially up to six hours of, uh, of content. So greatplotfilmfest.com, guys. Anyway. Um, I'm not sure we got submissions from all over the world, so I'm really hoping that happens again. Yeah, me too. Um, and, you know, once you know, ticket... Tickets are not on sale yet. Not yet, no. Once they go on sale, you, I would definitely recommend that you get your ticket because um, we sold out like the day before the festival, right? Yeah, one, one or two days before. Yeah, so it was right under the wire when we finally sold out the theater. But then on the day of, we had people walk in and off the street wanting to come in. Come in. Um, I had people like texting me and DMing me too and being like, you still got tickets for me, right? I'm like, no. No. You can't tell me the day of that you want a ticket. Like I could have held a ticket for you if you would let me know beforehand. You paid for it. Oh no, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I could set it aside for them, make sure it doesn't sell out, and they can actually buy one. Right. Like, you can't come to me day of and be like, "Well, you held some for me, even though I never asked you to." Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's like it, it was. It was at a point where if we hadn't held seats for ourselves and uh, the girls, like we wouldn't. We wouldn't have had seats. Yeah. So. It's 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 real. It's like when we said when we say we sell the sold out, we fucking sold we out. Sold the fuck out. Um. Anyway. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Not looking forward to work. Yeah. <laughs> that, especially when I started getting down to the wire, that was getting stressful. But it's gonna be fun anyway. 
Um, yeah. So. Oh, um, so we'll get we'll get into our Patreon people in a, in a sec, but I do want to mention I planned to get June out by now, and obviously it hasn't. Um, or wait, is it June that I just put out, or is it? That was May. We still need June and July. Okay, so those are still coming, guys. Um, at a death in the family, um, that was obviously not planned. So. Um, which is also why last episode was late. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, guys. My my uh, my grandma died, and um, she died on one of the days that I would have been editing the show. And then just you know, obviously the rest of the week was shot to shit. Um, and so yeah, I didn't get the show done on time. I didn't get uh, I didn't get Patreon out. So it's all. I mean, we're back on track. Or I'm gonna work on getting. June out this week and probably hopefully July the following week and then we'll be recording on August sooner than later. Anyway, um, but speaking of Patreon, uh, our grave diggers who are the lovely people who contribute money to us every month, um, they uh, really help us keep things going. You may you may hear doggy wrestling in the background. It's getting obnoxious. Hey, hey shut up. up. Um, anyway, but those lovely folks are Kevin Nesgoda, Je- Jordan Morrison, Kevin Trent, Joshua Hodges, Carlos Rodella, The Horror Addicts, My- uh, Mike Zaleski, <laughs> you know Mike Zaleski, Mike Zaleski, Max Zaleski, and Aaron Meyer. Thank you so much, guys, from the bottom of our cold, dead hearts. Um, Facebook, this is Dexter. <laughs> he's, he's a maniac. He's a maniac. Um... But uh, yeah, you guys, your your contributions, it's we're not blowing smoke. It really does help us keep the show going. Um, it's not an expensive show, but it does cost money. And once again, we don't have any of that. So um, Taylor, if anybody else wants to join the Gravedigger Club, uh, where can they go? They can go to patreon.com slash podcast. For as little as $1, you can pick the video reviews that we do every month for our Gravediggers. You also get to pick the Patreon picks episodes, like the one that we did last episode. You you, you saw it. You can pick terrible movies. Um, they're, they're, we'll only we'll only go so low. <laughs> if you pick movies that you know that we just do not want to watch, veto. Um, or we'll like raise your rate or something. Right. But you know, the more you give, the the more stuff you get. Different exclusive content. Uh, exclusive merchandise up to $100, which will get a tattoo of a fat unicorn on my ass. Yep. Uh, yeah, and um, can we set a donation level for the shirts? I can't remember. 10? Yeah. $10 a month gets you an exclusive Grave Digger t shirt design. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once again, that was something I planned to work on and didn't so getting slowly getting back on track um a lot of things painted my bedroom uh, it, it looks like a hotel room now it's kind of kind of fancy, fancy. <laughs> bougie um okay anything else you want to talk about before we start the show um i do want to give a shout out to our first uh great platform fest sponsor without a cause wrestling 
if you are in the Everett or Seattle area, make sure you check them out at WACProWrestling.com. There is a show next week, one week from today, even Sunday. Should be a good one. Yeah, how good? So good. <laughs> Cool. Uh, did you have a website? WACProWrestling.com. There you go. All the details right there. Everything you can want and more in the palm of your hand if you're using a phone. Yeah. Unless it's one of those really big phones that they make. Yeah. Or if you have like really big hands. Yeah. Or if you have really tiny hands like Trump. There you go. I bet he has to hold <clears throat> his phone with two hands because the hands can't Probably. Okay. Um, you know, like Epstein died, committed suicide, which he did. He definitely didn't. Um, and a lot of people are blaming it on Trump. It's like Trump is hardly the most dangerous or powerful person that Epstein would have had dirt on. So I've seen theories that he's still alive and they switched him out. That's a reach. Like, that's like weird spy espionage movie shit like yeah i have much more of a, of a belief that somebody got to him in prison and whacked made him, it look like whacked a suicide. Him off. yeah <laughs> who are we whacking off um yeah i've seen people uh claiming that the clintons did it yeah but i mean we have there are like people like foreign like diplomats and uh, royalty. Like, uh, I think they're far more likely. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, it doesn't really matter because somebody definitely had him killed. He did not commit suicide. That's bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. That's what I say. That's what Donnie says. He said that. He. This guy. All right, let's move on. Horror business. Too much All right, sorry for the shitty uh, opening, guys. I forgot to set the mic input. Tony didn't do the thing. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I forgot to do the thing again. Fuck me, right? Yes. Yeah. All right, so starting out in real-world horror, uh, we'll take a trip to the land of Godzilla. Yeah? I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's Japan, for those of you at home. Um, strange things are afoot in Japan, I tell you, because the Japanese government has granted scientists permission to create human-animal hybrids. But why? <laughs> I feel like the Japanese are spending a lot of time, or spending too much time wondering if they can do something and not enough time wondering if they should. We're all about can we, not should we. We're science. <laughs> um... This has trouble written all over it. You want, you want, I've seen the fly. Yeah. You want fishmen? Because this is how you get fishmen. Yeah. Um, this is Dr. Moreau shit. Have you seen... You haven't watched The Boys, have you? No. 
Uh, we had this conversation. I told you all I've seen is Saturdays for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> the boys, is a sh- it's an Amazon original on Prime Video, and uh, it's pretty good. It's a, it's a good show, but there's this one guy, like, it's about superheroes, and there's this one superhero clearly modeled after Aquaman, but he wears, like, this vest. It's, like, you know, kind of like a shiny, scaly green vest. Um, but in one episode, he takes it off, and you see he has these fucking gills on his side, and they're so fucking gross to look at, <laughs> especially because he's banging this chick, and she starts sticking her hands up inside uh. of him. It's just like, ah, ah. It's like it hurts, like it hurts my gills that I don't have, and it makes me want to throw up at the same time. <laughs> anyway, uh, a scientist in Japan has been granted permission to create a human-rat hybrid. Why a, a rat? Of all things, why don't you make something cool? <laughs> Who wants a fucking rat man? Rat man. Make a fucking wolf hybrid. Jesus, that'd be badass. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, that'd be, I, it could be cool. <laughs> After a ban on the practice, so this has already been banned. And they're going to find out soon. The scientist was like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, all right, fine. After a ban on the practice was lifted this year, Hiromitsu Nako, Nakauchi, yep, uh, who leads a team at the University of Tokyo and Stanford University in California, California, is planning to splice human cells to see if they will grow beyond the current limit of two weeks. Uh, and this is from Nature Magazine, I believe. Um, if Nakauchi uh, accomplishes this, it will be the first successful experiment of its kind in Japan. Uh, his ultimate grow- goal is to grow a human pancreas inside an animal so that it can later be transplanted into a patient. I mean, I know they grow ears on rats' backs and shit, but... It's like cartilage, though. They don't grow like just straight up ears. Well, they're, they're going to try. Or like in South Park where they grew a dick. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand science. Why, why th- do they do things? <laughs> I mean, couldn't you just like just as easily like grow an organ in a dish or something? <laughs> You'd think. Or with all the like advancements that we've made in not only stem cell research, but also uh, 3D printing, you'd think that you could 3D print an organ by now. Or at least be close to it. Yeah. I mean... Because they have like specifically medical 3D printers. Like, Yeah. I mean, yeah, they 3D print uh, like bones. Why can't you 3D print an organ yet? I mean, I'm not a scientist, obviously. Clearly, science is looking in the wrong places. They're looking at rats. They need to start looking at technology yeah, and 3D printing. I mean, eventually, we're all going to be androids anyway. So, <laughs> come on. Um, yeah. This creeps me out, though, man. This is just, I think, opening a door that should stay shut. There's, there was definitely a movie with like a human rat person, right? I'm sure there is. What is it? I don't know. 
MacGyver. <laughs> MacGyver? No, the Giver. Oh. <laughs> I know there's a bunch of creepy animal hybrid things in that. But I don't remember if they're like actually hybrids or if they're like alien things. It's been a while since I've seen it. People just love that movie. I'm not sure it's very good. I'm kind of still <laughs> debating that. I haven't seen it, so I don't. I can't. It's got Luke Skywalker in it. Oh, cool! Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, Japan. <clears throat> You should maybe rethink this, because eventually you're, you're going to have get... a giant human rat kaiju. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get fishmen stomping through the forest like a retarded tyrannosaurus. Right. <laughs> Floating down the Amazon, feeling the breeze. I could get used to that. I could get used to that. Walking through the Amazon, head in the trees. Baby, get a load of that. We're gonna so, of all of people, uh, Amazon seems to be leading the way in horror TV coming soon. Yeah. A couple uh, of projects I'm really excited about. First is a they're teaming up with Paramount Television to develop a series adaptation of Event Horizon. I'm a little on the fence about this. Why? I don't know how well that's going to translate to a, a long-form series style. I could see that. I mean, I'm, I love Event Horizon. I'm willing to see where they can take it. I'm just not convinced. Mm. Yeah, that's understandable. Because like, once you do like the whole reveal that it's back from hell and then have you know everybody be possessed and stuff where do you go from there yeah i mean it's just kind of like uh i mean it, it it's it uh it's basically going to be like the walk i i i envision it basically being like walking dead in space except with instead of zombies it's going to be like hell hell creatures hell hellman hell hellman like the mayonnaise <laughs> right <laughs> Do they have Hellman over here? I don't think so. Me neither. It's all Best Foods. Yeah. Same brand, though. Yeah. I think it's Hellman Foods, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Uh, I never understood why they do that. I don't either. I mean, I'm not in marketing or anything like that, but... Ask Cheese. Maybe she'll know. Maybe. Probably not. <laughs> she doesn't know how to do her job. <laughs> she knows things, but I don't know if she knows that. Um, I'm just... You know, we've talked about, like, why is... It called uh, Turkey Hill out on the East Coast, and it's Fred Meyer here. Like, whatever. Is it really? Yeah. Turkey Hill Kroger? Yeah. I didn't know that. Learn something new every day. It's true. Uh, well, one other reason that I'm excited about this is because Adam Wingard has been signed on to executive produce and direct. Your boyfriend. Although I think I've said on the show before, I'm, I think I'm actually more of a Simon Barrett fan than I am an Adam Wingard fan. Because mm -hmm. the stuff that he's done without Simon has been not so good. Uh, like Death Note. Yeah, that wasn't good. No. That was, I don't think that was ever going to be good, though. Probably not. Had a lot working against it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, uh, original producers of the film, Larry Gordon and Lloyd Levin, 
will executive produce alongside Jeremy Platt, who I don't know who that is, but me neither. I don't know who any of those people are. Maybe he's Oliver Platt's brother. Maybe. <laughs> Be gone. Be gone. Uh, but I mean, you know, so it does have people affiliated with the movie working on it. So, yeah, I mean, it has a lot of stuff going for it. Um, Amazon has done pretty well as far as their shows go. Um, except they canceled fucking the tick. I'm still pissed off. about Fucking that. jerks. Um, but I mean, I've, I've I've been watching a lot of their shows. I mean, The Tick was great. Um, Jack Ryan's really good. The Boys, you were just talking the about. The Boys is good. Um, and um, let's hear it for the boys. Yeah, you know, like the song. Yeah, that's that's, what, that's the theme song. <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad says Bosch is really good. I haven't watched it, but um, so anyway, Amazon seems to really know what they're doing as far as television or you know, long form series goes. Go, I don't know. Well, another series that they're, ha- they're coming out with that I'm also very excited about is called Truth Seekers. We've talked about this before, haven't we? I think so, but I don't remember if we actually like ever ha- talked about the name. I think this was just, and like they had just announced that they were working on it. Yeah. Because the, the name sounds familiar, but the fact that it's on Amazon seems new to me. That I'm pretty sure that is new. Uh, it's going to be an Amazon original centering on a paranormal investigation team who stakes out haunted churches, abandoned hospitals, and a host of other locations in search of proof of the paranormal for their online audience. Now, why I'm excited about this is because it will reteam Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Yeah. You know, that happened in, um, uh, shit, what was that we watched? Um, with the private school. Slaughterhouse Rules. That's what it was. Um, but they, they had like, 30 seconds of shared screen time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was hoping that they were like both going to be the paranormal investigators. Like they were the team. Mm-hmm. But uh, Frost is going to play Gus, who is one half of the paranormal investigating duo. But we don't know anything about Peg's character except his name is Dave. So I guess it's still possible that they could be yeah. the team. But you would think that they would announce that if that was the case. One would think. One would. You know, uh, Peg already seems to have a relationship with Amazon because he was actually in The Boys. Oh, you said he was doing an American accent. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> really fucking weird. Um, My favorite Brit doing an American accent is still Russell Brand, though. What if there was, quite literally, an elephant in the room? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if I ever actually heard that or if I just heard you talk about it. Oh. Um, it's so good. <laughs> Something I've noticed about Brits doing American accents is like they're all like always either like really like over the top and dramatic like that, or they're southern. No, not no? so much that. To me, they always sound like they're nasally. Like, do British people think we sound like dorks? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like Hugh Laurie. You know, he did House for years, and honestly, I didn't even acknowledge that he was British until, like, the third season of House. Um, but when I heard him speaking in his normal British accent, it seemed like it was much lower. And when I compared it to how he talked as House, it was it was it seemed like it was a little higher and, and sounded almost nasally. It's like, 
what is up with that? And I've noticed it since then with different, with other Brits. It's like, why, why, why do British people think we sound like nerds? <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, and then there's also a, I know what you did last summer series produced by James Wan, but who the fuck cares? I wish I had a toilet flushing sound right now. I'm going to put that in and post. Are you actually going to, or is this one of those situations where you say you're going to, and then it, there's just awkward silence? Well, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to put it in a toilet flushing. Yeah, you're going to put it in? <laughs> put it in real slow. <laughs> so yeah, keep an eye on Amazon. They're bringing, bringing the heat. That's their new slogan. <laughs> it's not very good. <laughs> So, Spectre Vision, which is the production company owned by Elijah Wood, Daniel Noah, Josh C. Waller, and Linda Wallen. Like I said, Waylon. Waylon. Um, they are making the transition into TV. Yay. Um, Spectre Vision, uh, you know, they're, they're behind, uh, see, they did, I think the first film they made was Maniac, wasn't it? Mm. Or was that Spectre Vision? I don't, I don't remember. I think it was. Okay. So, but I mean, then they did Cooties. The um, Boy. Was it The Boy? Not The Doll Boy, but The Other Boy. Did they? Yeah. I guess I didn't know that. That was Spectre Vision. The boy. The young, young boy. boy. <laughs> Mandy. Mandy. Um, fucking Greasy Strangler. Yeah. Uh, so they're pretty on top of shit as far as like... Like, they're not good in the classic sense. <laughs> they're good because they're fucking just entertaining. They're not necessarily like well-made films where they're like high art or even necessarily all that frightening. Uh, they're just like head fucks and just really fucking crazy over the top shit. Yeah. Um, especially, especially Gracie Strangler. <laughs> and Mandy, man. Fuck. Yeah. On like an opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, I think as far as the ones that I've seen that they made, the most normal film was probably Cooties. Yeah. It was um, the most like, like box office friendly. Yeah. Um, but they have just completed a first look deal with Legendary Television Studios. Um, it's being reported by Deadline. Uh, as a part of the multi-year deal, uh, the company will develop scripted series content uh, with a focus on distinctive genre concepts from dynamic storytellers. So it kind of sounds like they'll still maintain their uh, history of bringing in kind of new visionary um, filmmakers. And you know, and maybe not necessarily like directors or, or anything, but writers, people with new interesting projects that aren't necessarily mainstream. Mainstream, yeah. <clears throat> uh, Spectre Vision has proven itself an exemplary leader in the indie genre space, creating unique entertainment that truly captivates audiences," said Nick Pepper, Pepple, um, the president of Legendary Television Studios. Uh, we are thrilled to be partnering with them and look forward to developing future projects together. So they're excited. So I'm looking at Legendary TV's 
uh, <clears throat> roster here. And it looks like they've they've worked with Netflix on a couple things. Lost in Space and Love were both legendary TV. Okay. Um, they also did Downward Dog, which was on ABC for a sh- very short time. <laughs> it was actually pretty funny, though. I watched a couple episodes. But I, it was one of those shows where it was like, it wasn't something where you were like, oh, man, I got to go, go, go home and catch Downward Dog tonight. <laughs> I remember the name, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Yeah, it was a... God, I, I can't... I watched it and I can't even remember anything about it. So. It was a show. It was a... Yeah, and there was a dog and the... the I can't remember if the dog talked. I think the dog talked. That would have made it more entertaining. Talking animals, they're so hot right now. <laughs> but then the Looming Tower and Raising Expectations, Colony, and United by War. No, The Expanse. Sorry. I don't know any of those. I know The Expanse and then one other one that you mentioned. <laughs> I forgot what it was. But yeah, the rest of them, I have never heard of them. So, clearly they're trying to expand their footprint. Right. Um, We found kindred spirits in the visionary folks at Legendary, and we're excited to create vital and ambitious television in the genre spite. What is this genre space term? I hate it when people just say, like, oh, well, that movie's so genre. It's like, what genre? Yeah. It's like you got to be talking, like if you're not talking to somebody specific, like if you were talking to somebody that's well known in the horror genre, if they were saying they're making a genre film, then you'd just immediately know. But in the case of like Elijah Wood, it's like, who the fuck knows, man? But genre space, it sounds just like a douchey industry term. Yeah. <laughs> um, Elijah Wood said that, by the way. Who is also listed as creative director. So um, this could be good. I mean, there's doesn't seem to be any specific projects in the works. I mean, this like the ink on the contract is still wet. Um, but uh, yeah, this this could be good for horror television. <clears throat> um, of course, it doesn't necessarily. What well, genre? Right. <laughs> of course, genre. Yeah. Um, so, I mean. This is a good time to be a horror fan. We've got a lot more recognition towards the genre. Um, <laughs> and, uh, of course, you know, people go and do mass shootings and then horror gets blamed because apparently the 1980s all over again. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, they've already decided that they're done blaming video games. So, right. <sighs> anyway. So, yeah, are you are you hype on this? I mean, kind of. I'm I'm eager to see more specifics. Like I would like to see what specifically they're working on. Yeah, I mean, Spectre Vision. I couldn't tell you exactly like like the full list of things that they've done. I know a lot of them, but I'm pretty certain that there has been some stuff they made that's just not really my forte. Um, yeah, like a girl walked home alone at night. That was Spectre. Was it okay? Yeah. yeah, and I think they did. Uh, I don't want to be alive in this world anymore, or something like that, or whatever it was called. Mm-mm. They didn't. That wasn't them. I could have sworn that was them. A lot of people love that. I didn't really. I don't know. Didn't really do it for me. Yeah, I, I thought it was fine. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. That's what it was. Um. So, Spectre Vision, 
that was XYZ Films. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I'm I'm in wait and see mode on this one. All right, so one final TV uh, note here. The television, or the movie, that's what it's called. You know, those things that's like a TV show, but longer. It's a movie. That's what you call it. <laughs> XX, which we reviewed uh, exclusively for Patreon back many months ago. Was it? Yeah, it was like one of our first ones. I could have sworn we did that on the show. I don't think so. Whatever. Whatever. Well, it's becoming a TV show. Uh, producers Javanka Vukovic, Todd Brown, and Raquel David are in development on an anthology series, which will hire female screenwriters and female directors to bring new scary stories to the small screen. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Vukovic described it as sort of like a black mirror, but for women, all written and directed by women. That's kind of a weird take. Yeah. I've never heard women be like, I wish there was a black mirror just for me. Right. I don't understand it. It's not like... uh, Black mirror seems pretty universal to me. Yeah. It's probably one of the most progressive shows I've seen. But we're cis white men. That's true. Straight cis white men at that. So we're like the worst kind of people. Isn't... Wait, cis is just we identify as our born gender, right? Sometimes I get my terms mixed up. It's a new, it's a brave new world. <laughs> Straight cis American white men. We are just the worst kind of people. <laughs> no wonder everyone hates us. <laughs> but it's like, but yeah, I mean, I don't watch Black Mirror and think like, oh, this is so masculine. Right. Um, I don't know. This seems like kind of a reach to me. Um, I mean... I can understand what they're trying to achieve, but it seems more like it's coming across more like a novelty. Yeah. Like uh like those toolkits that are sold exclusively for exclusively for exclusively. women. Exclusively. <laughs> um like like they have a tiny little hammer for a tiny delicate tiny, woman. A tiny pink little hammer. Yeah. It's, it seems like kind of like that to me. Like I don't really understand the point. <laughs> yeah. Well, as for the tone of the series, Vukovic says, I know everyone hates the term elevated horror. Mm. Yep. You're losing me fast. But let's say thinking person's horror. <laughs> Feminist thinking person's horror. So let's take that thing you already hate, give it a new name, and try to give it to you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's like regifting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like, like, I liked some of the, uh, what do you call them? Segments of triple X. I didn't like all of them. XX. Triple X is Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> or Ice Cube. Or Ice Cube. But you know the important thing? They all had Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I liked some of them. I didn't like all of them. So, and I mean, obviously, if they're going to do this, an anthology is the only way to do it. Yeah. Since the movie was an anthology. 
Yeah, I mean, I it's gonna be like black. I think that's the only way it works is if you do it like Black Mirror or uh, Tales from the Crypt, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, she, the whole trying to repackage elevated horror as thinking person's horror, you're losing me there. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there's a reason I don't like elevated horror, and it's not because of the name. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I, no I, word yet on when or where this is going to air, but I just yeah, I'm not sold on this. This is. Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I, I guess I don't really know what to think. I don't have a problem with it. I just think that they're trying to exploit it. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. That that it? That's it. Okay. I know it sounds bad, but it's so good. These are things, tears from the desert. I know it sounds bad, but it's so good. These are things, tears from the desert. I know it sounds bad, but it's so good. These are things, tears from the desert. Oh, I don't think I like this. <laughs> Especially that next that, that second line. Um, according to the latest issue of Production Weekly, Tales from the Hood three uh, is being tossed around. Um, uh, it's set to begin shooting uh, next month. Oh, and so it's not being tossed around; it's actually happening. Uh, it's set to begin shooting next month in Winnipeg, so not in the hood. <laughs> Is there a strong hood presence in Winnipeg? I mean, I've never been there. Maybe Chris Jericho <laughs> is from there, so I mean, like, <laughs> isn't that? I mean, they shot the they shot two in Canada, didn't they? Probably. It's probably I a lot cheaper. I feel like I remember that not taking place in the hood. I f- pretty much forgot almost everything about it because well, no, it took place at the politicians' laboratory. I thing. mean, the stories. I don't feel like any of them actually took place. In no, the they were much more kind of either suburban or like like rich people's abodes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I won't re-review the movie. If you want to hear what our thoughts, then go listen to the episode. But I feel like um, that movie, Tales from the Hood, was uh, important at the time it came out because gang violence and inner city um discord was uh, a hot button issue um a lot of you know there were a lot of the, the um you know shootings and gang violence in south central uh down in LA all the trouble all uh all the trouble with the LAPD um and uh you know yeah the gang wars and shit all going on down there around the time riots t- uh, the riots were a little it was, earlier yeah, it was later than the riots but- um but still, that 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 turmoil, um, you know, the people were still, you know, the, this is be starting. The first movie came out around the time when a lot of the a lot of the uh, anger towards authority was being turned inward, and that's when a lot of the black on black violence was starting, and like I said, the gang wars and that kind of shit. Um, I mean, there's still like that, that fuck the police mentality, but, um, yeah, 
that so that was why the first one was so important and why <clears throat> it was so um, iconic for the time that it came out because a lot of that shit was real. It was going on when the movie came out. Um, and it was like kind of an expo shining a light on mainly black on black violence. Yeah. Um, and you know, just the gang violence and, uh, racism and, you know, the, like the, the trouble with the, mainly the LAPD and other police forces in, in predominantly racist, um, areas. Um, then, you know, Tales from the Crypt, or sorry, Tales from the Hood 2, it didn't really take so much take place in the hood, which that's kind of different. I mean, because it wouldn't make sense to make uh, a hood movie when there's not as much gang war stuff going on. Well, yeah, it was much more political. Yeah, which was, you know, obviously more geared for our time, which is fine, but it was still called Tales from the Hood, and it didn't take place in the hood. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's that. Um. So yeah, I don't know what Tales from the Hood three will really have to offer, especially this soon. Yeah, like the the political environment that hasn't changed hasn't changed. If anything, it's gotten worse. So, um, and uh, anyway, uh, let's see. Writer director Rusty Cundiff and Darren Scott are uh, returning, along with EP Spike Lee. Um, please, baby, baby, please, 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 baby, baby, please, baby, baby, please, baby, please. Loki, when you gotta take care of your kids, all right? I gave Rosie Perez elocution lessons. <laughs> That's nothing to be proud of. Family guy. Yeah, I figured. Because it's, it's racist. <laughs> well, not so much racist, just uncouth. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no cast listed yet. Um, you know, Keith David, I love the guy, but that character, I would rather see, um, Clarence, uh, Clarence, Clarence Williams play him. Instead. Clarence Williams was that character. Yeah. Yes. Cuban, Cuban B. B. <laughs> I'd like to see him come back and play that character again. I kind of don't think he will, but, um, yeah. Like I said, I like Keith David, but just that wasn't right. It wasn't right for him. He didn't he didn't play the character I want wanted to see. Yeah. Um the movie should be ready for release next year uh for the original film's 25th anniversary. You know what else is next year? Presidential election. Oh, yep. So that could be Actually, who am I kidding? This isn't going to have an effect on the election. Never mind. <laughs> it probably it may have in the nineties, but now it, yeah, no, it's going to be a fart in the wind. Now the election is just going to be decided by Russian bots. So yeah, and if not, it's going to be decided by gun-toting maniacs in the south. Anyway, so I mean, I hope for the best because I do like the original, um, but I'm not really anticipating the best <laughs> yeah because of the second right
So, as we all know, Hollywood loves its Stephen King adaptations. What? <laughs> There's a couple in the works right now. Like 75 or 80. <laughs> Two of probably, at least one of the most notable is It. Right. It Chapter 2, of course. Uh, also, Josh Boone is allegedly making the stand, but he, he makes movies that never see the light of day, apparently. So Yeah. But apparently... But apparently he's the most qualified to make every Stephen King yeah. project ever. Apparently Stephen King himself has rewritten scenes for both of these projects. Uh, Andy Muschiette was talking to Sci-Fi and said that King wrote a brand new scene for the film. Uh, when the author read the first draft, he made a few notes and requested the addition of, quote, one all-new scene. And, of course, Machete listened because you don't tell Stephen King that he can't write it. I would. <laughs> They're like, no, Stephen. It's fine. Like, you wrote it once already. Yeah. We're going to use that. It's like, I don't know if you have kept track of all of your adaptations that you've been involved with, but they're not good. He doesn't have a strong track record. No. He made one good one, and that was when he wrote the the miniseries, the Shining miniseries. And the stand was okay, I mean, for, for the time. If you were to... It doesn't hold up so much now, but the stand was okay. Um... But the Shining miniseries was good, and that was only because it was more true to the book than Kubrick's. It was only because it had Brian from Wings. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, whenever uh, there's this, like, general kind of consensus in the in the horror community that the reason it did so well was because Stephen King wasn't involved in it. <laughs> so I feel like you're you're inviting chaos by doing this. I wonder if it was like this one all new scene and Muschetti was just like, just give him the one scene. Just, just, then he'll go away. <laughs> Whatever, we'll just cut it in post anyways. You know, a lot of people give King shit nowadays saying he can't write a book anymore, which is absolute bullshit because the last few books that I've that he's written that I've read are all movies now <laughs> or will be soon. Well, well yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they've been really good. I mean, like the whole Mr. Mercedes or the Bill Hodges trilogy was really good. Um, the last one was a little weird, but um, the outsider was good. Um, yeah, so he could still write the shit out of a book, but yeah, not so much on the film end. Yeah, well, as far as the stand goes, which of course is going to be a mini series again, exclusively on CBS All Access. So, so we'll never see it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently, King has written an entire new ending. Ooh, I haven't heard. I hadn't heard about this yet. Yep. Uh, King will write the very last episode of the nine-episode series, providing a new coda that will not be found in the book. According to CBS All Access Executive Vice President Julie McNamara, for fans of the book who have wondered what became of the survivors of The Stand, this episode will contain a story that takes us beyond the book to answer those questions. So it's an epilogue? Well, she said it's a continuation to The Stand. I can't wait to share that with the world. So kind of. But why? 
I don't know, man. So you can say you did? <laughs> I just don't understand when people do things. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like it's not like a, a new ending per se, because it, it doesn't sound like it's changing the ending. Yeah. It's adding, adding on. on. So like you said, an epilogue. Uh, I mean, there w- there was somewhat of an epilogue there in the book. I mean, I don't understand. I don't get it. It sounds like they're just making a very long story. Believe me, the stand is very long. <laughs> I think it's the second longest book behind it. Um, or maybe I have that reversed. Either way, those are definitely his two longest books. Um, I mean, it, it took a mini series to make both. So that should tell you something. Um, so I, I, I guess I don't understand why you'd add something to a story that's already very long. <laughs> I wonder whose idea this was too. Like, was King like, oh, I've got an, I've got a new thing that I wanted, I wanted to add, or were they like, Hey, Steven, you want to throw in a thing? See, I don't know. I mean, with the stand, I can't really speak on that. I mean, Josh Boone is clearly like a Stephen King fanboy, but on the same side, it does seem like uh, Muschietti is too. Um, especially because of how excited he was to make the first one, and now saying something like, "Oh well, when Stephen King says he wants to write it, you let him write it." It's like, no, oh, do you? <laughs> I don't yeah, I don't I don't know if you'd necessarily have to. Yeah. See, there there are two different kinds of Stephen King, I think. There's the stuff that he wrote back when he was still a drunk and a drug addict. Um, and now the stuff that he writes when he's sober. They're two pretty different things. Um like I think probably the best comparison is you take The Shining and Doctor Sleep. Which is probably like as far as like comparing um, styles in kind of the same scope, those are probably the best examples. Because he was still like, um, I think he was still in recovery. Like he was still like getting sober either when he wrote The Shining or right after or right before he wrote The Shining or something. Um, and, you know, obviously he wrote Dr. Sleep when he was sober. You compare this the two stories, and they're very different. They're about the same character, but written very differently. Um, there's a lot of uh, kind of anger almost in in The Shining, and I don't know. I'm launching into a philosophical thing, but suffice it to say that even though they're about the same general story, they're written very differently. Um, and so when you say, oh, you let Stephen King write if, it, if he wants to write it, it's like, I think you shouldn't do that because he's not the same not Stephen same King. Space. Yeah. Um, I mean, Stephen King today, like he's actually said, well, while I agree with him that the whole gangbang scene wasn't necessary, he has said that were he to write that today, he wouldn't have put that in because there's really no purpose for it. I agree, but that's just an example of where he's at now. Yeah. It's like, what else wouldn't he have put in if he were to have written it today? Sure. So 
that's just kind of my position on it. Like I said, it's it's you know apparently one scene, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Machete was just like, yeah, just just let him have it. Just throw it at the end. It's fine. You know, you've seen the the trailer, right? For it, two. Yeah, yeah. Um, the part in that Hall of Mirrors. I haven't seen that one. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Bill, you know, or McAvoy chasing this kid into a into a Hall of Mirrors, like a funhouse at a carnival. That wasn't in the book. So I'm wondering if that is the scene. Could be. So, anyway. Yeah, as long as it sticks to the book for the most part, I think it's going to be fine, regardless of what scene this is. Yeah. In in, in both respects, for the, it and the stand. Not that I'll ever see the stand, because... CBS All Access. I'm not going to pay for it. (laughs) Okay. That's it. That's horror business. We made it through, guys. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Okay. So, next up, guys, we're going to launch into some film reviews. All right, so um, we've got two movies for you, um, both fairly new. Nightmare Cinema has been out for a little while. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark just came out a few days ago at this point. Um, so, uh, Taylor, which one do you want to start with? Let's start with Nightmare Cinema. I'm the projectionist. I'm a curator of 100 years of nightmares. Trapped in a silver screen that never forgets. Welcome to my nightmare. Could have sworn that I picked this one. So originally, I had picked Scary Stories, but for some reason, I changed mine and I gave Scary Stories to you. And then I, I, I think what? Oh, you know what it was? It was New Mutants. Mm. I switched it because New Mutants was supposed to come out. Uh-huh. And the new mutants got pushed again. And so I filled it in with this. 
Got it. So this is an anthology movie with a wraparound story. The wraparound story is directed by Mick Garris. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the whole thing takes place in a theater. Each one of our segments is a film shown in the theater. And each film is specifically for one person who is drawn into the theater, most of them because they saw their name on the marquee. Right. Uh, yeah, it's like the... I guess it's not all of them, but like a few people or a couple of people walk past and like it was, the theater was all dark. And as they walk past, everything lights up. The, yeah. The big marquee lights up and it says, you know, the title of the segment with and then this person's name. Right. So... Yeah, like the first one is uh, this girl named Samantha. Uh, it doesn't say her last name here, but uh, she's trying to call her boy boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, and he's like, unless this is Sam, leave a message. And she's like, why don't you go fuck yourself? Yeah. Hangs up, and then she looks up, and she sees the thing in the woods with Samantha whatever. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, that's my name. <laughs> And so she goes to the ticket booth. The ticket automatically pops up, which that that alone, I'm like, it's like you know what? You're gonna think one of two things at this point. You're either gonna think cool technology, <laughs> or you're gonna think, well, that's creepy. I'm going somewhere else now. Yeah, there's already my name on the marquee. This isn't working for me. Yeah. <laughs> or you're thinking free movie. Sure. Yeah. She, she thinks probably the latter. Heads in, takes a seat. The thing in the woods starts up, and it's total throwback slasher. Yeah. I think Jason meets Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a slasher called The Welder. (sighs) I hate reviewing anthologies. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you you know, the whole thing, and it's, it's actually her in the movie, too. And the whole thing is very almost cliche slasher. Like it it does do a lot of the cliches, a lot of kind of homages. Yeah. Almost to the point of being like over the top um, at at times, which. Yeah. Like almost like almost like a parody. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, I won't give anything away, but I'll say the the end of the, the movie, the short, whatever you want to call it, does kind of flip things on its head. Mm hmm. And I'll say, if I was watching a slasher and this was the way it ended, I probably would be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> like in a in a short, in a segment part of an anthology, it's one thing. But if this was like a feature length, I would have been like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this was my favorite one. I figured it probably would be. <laughs> I do have a type. Uh, this is directed by Alejandro Brujes. Uh, who did one? Oh, one of the dead. Cool. Yeah. Um, I I wouldn't have expected this. Like, I didn't know who directed what going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have expected this to be more like Joe Dante. Yeah, this seemed more his style. Um, the one that he did, I didn't expect. No. <laughs> yeah, that's actually the second one, which is uh, this couple. They're out making out outside the theater and the guy's like hey that door's open you want to go fuck in the balcony because why not and she's like no and he's like but you can (laughs) (laughs) so they go in to go fuck in the balcony 
movie Wars Up. And this one's called Marari. And this is about this couple. And the woman has a, a big scar on her face from a car accident when she was a kid. And her fiance, which I don't know if the guy in quote unquote real life was actually her fiance or if they were just dating. That's never really addressed, I guess. But I don't know. But in the, the movie, he is her fiance and he's telling her, you know, I think you're beautiful, but I know you're very self-conscious about this scar. My mom has a great plastic surgeon. He's he's done all her work and she looks amazing. She's a stunning vision of perfection. And, you know, I I I think you're beautiful just the way you are. But if you want to get it fixed, then, you know, you, <laughs> you can go talk to this guy. That whole thing. It's yeah. Like, I I think your boobs are perfect, but if you wanted to go a little bigger, <laughs> you know, for your self-esteem. <laughs> but eventually she decides she will go have this consultation with this doctor, and he's looking at her and he's like, I can get rid of 95% of it. You'll never worry about looking in the mirror again. I promise you'll be the most beautiful bride anyone's ever seen. The doctor played by uh, Richard Chamberlain, who himself is just like like the poster boy for plastic surgery. Yeah. <laughs> but he tells her, you know, oh, well, you know, while we're in there, we can also kind of bump up your cheekbones and smooth out your chin a little bit and we can fix your boobs and all this other stuff and just upsells her, basically. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, okay, I guess. <clears throat> so she goes and she has the surgery, wakes up the next day, her head's all wrapped up like goodbye mommy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they're telling her everything went great, except you were having some issues with your oxygen levels. He says it's very common in nasal procedures, so we're just going to have to go in tomorrow and fix it up. For whatever reason, she like freaks out. Like aside from the music and the the tone, there's not really anything sinister going on, but she gets immediately suspicious. Well, she has a fucked up dream. That's true. When she was under the anesthesia, she did have a, a really crazy dream about the surgeons. And she catches her fiance having this weird. She can't hear it, but it's like a very. Looks like a very hush hush conversation right outside the door of the room. Yeah. So. But yeah, so she gets really suspicious. She goes out and she, you know, she looks at the files and she sees a fiance requested more work be done. And so she starts freaking out. Um, do you, do you, do you want to keep going? No, that's kind of, <laughs> I guess that's kind of as far as I can go without starting to give stuff away. Yeah. Um, I like Joe Dante. This one was kind of, like I said, not really what I would have expected from No, him. not particularly. It was very, not so dry, just very, uh, well, a lot of his stuff is so like goofy. Kind yeah, of. he has a, a lot know, of gremlins and burying the X were both pretty goofy. Exactly, and this one doesn't have that at all. No, um, I mean there are things you can laugh at, particularly towards the end, but I don't think they're necessarily funny. I think you're supposed to. <laughs> um. So yeah, like for me to like, I I saw who the directors were, so I knew who directed in this. Um. After I watched it, I was surprised to see that he had directed this. Um, so, um, 
This is, I think, probably my second favorite one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I haven't thought about it that much, but... Um, the next one is we cut outside to this priest walking down the street and, you know, the marquee lights up and he sees my shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, starring father something or other. It's like, um. Some father or something, Father Alejandro, no, not Alejandro, uh, I don't know, something, I remember his last name was Abuelo. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it says Father Benedict on IMDb, and that's not right. Mm, nope. <laughs> um, it's actually Mashit, is how it's pronounced. Uh, this one is directed by Ryuhei Kitamara, Kitamura, who directed Midnight, Midnight Meat Train. And this one is bonkers. <laughs> this is weird. Uh, dead kids. Lots of dead kids in this one. <laughs> Which is fine. Like, I have no issue with that. A lot of people are like, oh, kids are off limits. Like, Fuck that. <laughs> If this were real, kids would be just as big of a target as anybody else. If not more. Yeah. They're slow. They're little. They don't know anything. Yeah, they're dumb. (laughs) They think they're good at hiding, but they're really not most of the time. They're shitty. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, they're just assholes. Yeah. Tiny little Hitlers. (laughs) Uh, But this, this is about a boarding school that is possessed by this demon named Mashit. It's specifically a Catholic school. Yes. Um, apparently he was summoned there because the father is fucking one of the nuns. Right. Yeah, it's... Praise on carnal sins. Right. Um, yeah, and it, it takes a weird kind of spin, whereas, like, most stories would probably see, like, the, this priest and the nun as... Villain, like not necessarily villains, but n- not the heroes, but they kind of portray them that way. The, you know, they become the heroes. Yeah, which is weird. But they, yeah, they're also like the reason that all this shit is happening. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's your kind of whatever you involve the Catholic Church. It's usually some kind of possession slash exorcism story and this is really no different so it's kind of exactly what you expect in that respect um and it was fine Machete was was pretty cool looking yeah he kind of looked like harry potter at the end of horns yeah except he, like he it, looked all burnt he's barely on screen it's like if you see the, the the cover of nightmare cinema or the poster one of them there's multiple or, okay, well, the one where there's clearly a demon, <laughs> yeah, that's Machete. But again, like you barely see it on the screen. Yeah, it's real quick. Yeah, like like there's like spliced in frames or something. <laughs> yeah, like a single frame of pornography. Yep. Did where you there? watch Fight Club recently? Yeah, I just watched it the <laughs> other day. <laughs> I look for the cigarette burn. Boop boop. <clears throat> uh, next. It just cuts to this woman who's already in the theater 
and she just kind of appears to be wandering around. And she's just like, hello. And then she just goes into one of the theaters. Auditoriums. Uh, okay, yeah. And uh, this one's called the, the This Way to Egress. This one. You ever, uh, at this point. Um, oh, yeah. We've been introduced to the projectionist. Right. Played by Mickey Rooney. <laughs> Mickey Rourke. No. <laughs> Ricky Rourke. <laughs> Damn it, I always do that. Who, like this face... I always do Mickey Rooney, Mickey Rourke, and Andy Rooney. Like, I mix up all three of them. All different guys. <laughs> uh, this face that he has now is probably the closest to his real face that I've seen in a while. <laughs> that poor guy. Randy the Ram himself. <laughs> if anybody um, doesn't know the story of and, uh, Mickey Rourke, uh, he's a pretty handsome guy back in like the 80s and 90s or part of the 90s um like you see the movie angel face or angel eyes sorry um like that's him before he fucked up his face but then he decided he wanted to be a boxer (laughs) and he wasn't a good boxer and so he had to go through a lot of surgeries not all of them were very good and just kind of let him down this uh this treacherous path of getting his face progressively more and more fucked up to a point where like, like, like I said, I, I said this face that he wears now is closest to what he used to look like. Yeah. (laughs) Because just a picture I saw of him like last year, year before I didn't, didn't even recognize him. He looked like an old woman that had had too much plastic surgery. Yeah. Um, so he has changed his look many a time. Over the years. And he doesn't fully explain who he is, per se, but he says that he's collecting nightmares. Yeah, he kind of comes across like, maybe like a Grim Reaper type character. Yeah. Um, But it's not fully fleshed out. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that, I don't know. It wasn't really doing it for me. Yeah, it seemed a, a little unnecessary. Yeah. It didn't really tie anything together. It's just like, uh, Mickey Rourke, I'm the projectionist. It's like, okay, you you work at the theater. Why don't you have a shirt on? <laughs> <laughs> Should you at least be wearing a name tag? <laughs> uh, yeah, so This Way to Egress is the next one, directed by David Slade, who directed Hard Candy and 30 Days of Night. Um, this one is weird. It is weird. It's very weird. I had to, I kept leaving the room. <clears throat> On purpose? Just like, uh, oh, oh, there's something else I have to do. And it just kind of left it running. So I had to keep backing this up and, and re-watching parts that I'd missed. Oh. Yeah, I this mean, is not the one to, to miss out <laughs> parts on. But that's the thing. is like, it wasn't really holding my interest. Yeah. Um. Even when it got to the end, it's like, okay. Like, there's this like, I don't know. It was, I guess it was intended to be a twist. Sort of. I guess. But it's just like, well... It feels like like this one just kind of like ends. Like it feels like it's going along and then it's in its store. Right. <laughs> like it's going to launch into a, an exciting episode next week or something. Yeah. But, but there's no next episode. This one's all in black and white. Uh, this woman goes to a doctor and he starts asking her questions about is she viewing people in a like a scary way 
He's like, does this always happen after four o'clock? Do you feel suicidal? And she's like, you know, yes, yes, yes. And then he's like, well, I got to go. <laughs> and all of a sudden, just her whole world just breaks down. And everybody she sees is just like this mutant. Her kids disappear. There's blood or shit or something all over the floors and walls. And it's just getting progressively worse. And she's just running around trying to find her kids. And like I said, everything is getting worse. People are getting more disgusting looking. The whole atmosphere around her is just getting more and more filthy. And Yeah. And you don't really know why or what's going on or if any of it's real. The theme of this reminds me a lot of, um, and God damn it, I can't remember the title of it, but it's a really famous Twilight Zone where um, the woman is trying to get plastic surgery to look more beautiful because she's so hideous and you find out she's actually really pretty and everybody else looks like freaks. You know, One of the noses? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The theme reminds me a lot of that. Yeah, I could see that. Um that's kind of all I'll say about the specifics, but it's kind of Jacob's lottery in a way, a little bit, yeah. Uh, so our final story is called Dead. This is also directed by Mick Garris, um, who directed, of course, the remake of The Shining, right, as well as The Stand and Hocus Pocus. <laughs> sure, he did. He did it. I know he did. <laughs> Uh, this one, a young boy. Young boy. He wanders into the theater and there's an organ on the stage. And so he starts playing. Right? Yeah. And all of a sudden his movie starts up. Wait, no. That's not what. That was Smoke on the Water. Yep. Is that not what you were going for? Nope. What were you going for? Um, fuck. It's... <laughs> Was that it? No, I... Ah, never mind. Just go ahead. Oh, you fucked up. I did. Uh, fuck my fucking <laughs> life. In the movie, the this kid is basically the kid from The Sixth Sense. He can see dead people. Um, Because he, he dies for 17 minutes, comes back to life, and so now he can see dead people. Right. Dead people are dicks. <laughs> yep. And so basically, like, his... He was shot in a... Was it supposed to be a robbery? I never asked for anything. <laughs> I I presume so. I don't, I don't really know. We'll just call it a robbery gone wrong. He it gets, just kind of goes to hell really quickly, so you never really find out what he wanted. <laughs> yeah. But he gets shot. Like I said, he dies, he comes back, and he's... So he's in a hospital... So, of course, there's dead people fucking everywhere. Right. But you also find out that this guy who shot him is also in the hospital, and he's trying to finish the job. Right. It's really persistent. He is. <laughs> um, yeah, I won't get too much into this one because there's not, there's not a whole lot until the end, and then I'm kind of spoiling things. So Yeah. And then we jump back into the theater, and the projectionist makes this big reveal, which, again, I won't give away because it's a spoiler, even though it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> and then he hits the kid with a cane, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, go fucking live, <laughs> which is probably the best line in the whole movie. <laughs> like, that needs to be on the poster. It's nightmare cinema, go fucking live. <laughs> 
Um, and then it's over. And then it's over. Yeah. What'd you think? It was okay. Um, Dread Central calls it possibly the best horror anthology ever. And I'm like, all right, calm down. We live in a world where creep show exists. <laughs> Dial it back. <laughs> how how can you that is like the most impulsive thing you could say. That is such a bold statement. It's like, oh, I watched this and I completely forgot about every other <laughs> anthology movie we've ever seen. Uh yeah, creep show. Um trigger, trigger treat. treat. <laughs> uh what else? Um I mean, Creepshow 2 even? No, that's too far. <laughs> this is better. Twilight's on the movie? Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, there were a couple in here that are okay. The other ones were kind of meh. None, none of them were really bad. Yeah. They just were okay. Um, I feel like... Um... This Way to Egress is probably the most polarizing. I feel like people are either going to love it or just really not like it. I'm on the side that really didn't care for it. Yeah, I mean... Because I'm not into that whole like surrealism horror kind of thing. Elevated horror. No, it's not even that. That's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not even that. Um, but just the surrealist horror and everything, I'm that's not my jam. Yeah. But I can see people being like, that's, you know, it's so smart and it's so creative and... Yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm with you. It's, uh, it wasn't really to my taste. Yeah, um, that's not to say that it's bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, the whole black and white thing, I'm not really a huge fan of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, but I mean, like the thing in the woods, that was, that was just fun. I mean, it wasn't like high art. Yeah. But it, it was fun. But like I said, if like the end, I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) But I mean. But it is a new spin on Slasher. Yeah. I think it added something to it where it was like, it was clearly supposed to be like kind of over the top and and silly almost. Um, I think that added value to that. Yeah. That you're completely flipping the script and turning it into something else. Yeah. yeah, that and it's like kind of yeah, adding something to what they're already trying to create, which was something that was a little off the wall. Um, yeah. For whatever reason, Mashit did not hold my interest at all. I had a real hard time getting into that one. It was kind of boring. Like I just there it took a while to get going. Like, yeah. Even though you had something happen, like boom, right off the bat, like there was nothing really explained. Yeah. And then there was kind of the build up after that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, for whatever reason, it just didn't hold my interest. Yeah. Same, same with, with me. Um, I, it, it, it was weird because there was so much value there. I mean, there was so much potential for it to be, you know, a, a good interesting take or uh kind of a uh i'm starting to lose my train of thought on things um it, it was so i mean possession and exorcism that that's an easy concept um 
and it, it's easy to make an interesting film out of it. This one just didn't really seem all that uh, interesting, I guess. I mean, for to, to to simplify it, I guess. I feel like they're... I don't know. It seemed too quick. It didn't really seem like it was lulling or like it was too long. It just didn't seem like a lot happened. And the things that did happen weren't particularly particularly interesting. Um, it was really predictable. Yeah. It's like, it was very, this one especially was very formulaic. Like you knew exactly what was going to happen. Well, not exactly, but you had a pretty good idea of what was going to happen from beginning to end. So, um, yeah. Dead was, again. I was kind of disappointed in Dead. Yeah, it's like, this is fine. Um, but again, just kind of like, Whatever, I mean, I could I could watch this and forget about it as you know as easily as I I can I could watch it and be engaged in it and then as just as quickly forget about it. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Um. But yeah. Again, like Thing in the Woods was good uh, as far as you know. As far as my tastes go, Mirari was good. Um, like I said, my only uh, issue with Mirari was that it seemed like she got real suspicious for no real reason other than just a creepy dream. Yeah. Um, I kind of... That was another one where it was kind of predictable as far as what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. But the good thing was is that it didn't really try too hard to cover that up. Yeah. For, for very long. I mean, it, it it was a short film, obviously, but um, it did. Uh, <clears throat> I think it maybe recognized that it was going to be a, not necessarily formulaic, but obvious reveal. So it just it didn't really waste time in revealing it. Yeah. Um, I think where this one kind of hangs is not not hangs, but uh, gets its uh, credits is. Just being weird, <laughs> yeah. Um, especially at the end. So, so, yeah. I mean, you know, you could say this this movie has something for everything, something for everyone. But the thing is, when you have something for everyone, it means you're also going to have a lot of things that some people aren't going to like. It's true. Um, so, you know, none of the none of the shorts are bad. No, but. Um, you know, there's there's no link between them. Like, yes, you have this wraparound story with the projectionist, projectionist and the theater, but that's really super inconsequential to anything that happens in the stories themselves. Yeah, and even tying tying the films to the people in the in the theater doesn't make any sense. Like, these aren't real things that happen to these people. And he like p- portrays it in a way that like this is your future. It's like I don't think it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, like especially the thing in the woods. Like that, that probably wasn't realistic. That's, yeah, that's probably not gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I don't know. It was okay. And I mean, it is. It's two hours long, but it does move pretty well because it's like you know, sitting down and binge watching a TV show. So it's, you know, it keeps things fresh. Yeah. 
like I said, I don't think any of them are bad. None of them were like hard to get through or hard to watch. Um, I'll give it a seven. Hmm. I'll give it a six. Like it was, like I said, I mean, it, it was fine, but it wasn't great. You know, it wasn't. Wasn't the greatest anthology ever. <laughs> no. This is, pro- I'll probably not go back and watch it again. Yeah. So there's not a lot of replay, replay value in it, for me at least. Whereas there are other, you know, films I keep going back to, like Creepshow, you know. Yeah. So, and I, I guess having, you know, directors, especially, you know, ones that with a, with pretty good careers like Joe Dante and McGarris, um, I guess it's just a little disappointing. Yeah, I, I thought that I would enjoy Garris's much more. I was like, oh, it's McGarris. It's probably going to be good. And it yeah. just didn't really do anything for me. Cool. Yep. All right. So next up is a brand new release. It just came out. What? Friday. Right. Friday. Yeah. Um, it's a adaptation of scary stories to tell in the dark. Some people believe if we repeat stories often enough, they become real. They make us who we are. That can be scary. Eat it, Harold. Do you want to see Haunted House? Some kids went missing, so they boarded it up. Okay, we saw it. Should we go now? Who ordered the chicken? What's that? It's a book of scary stories. Tell me a story. Tommy's missing. Tommy's name was in the book. There's no way it's actually connected, right? Okay, what if what happens in the book is exactly what's happened for real? Oh my god. Augie! Stella! Listen, you're in the next story. We're reading it right here. It's a corpse looking for her missing toe. <laughs> I'm afraid that we woke something up. You shouldn't have taken the book. We've got to stop it. Sarah Bellows' book, where the stories write themselves and it all comes alive. The Jangling Man is coming.
All right, so scary stories to tell in the dark, of course, is, um, well, adaptations, maybe not necessarily the right word. Yeah, I wouldn't call it an adaptation. Um, I'm not sure what you would call it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure, yeah, the, the right word. Um, but it, Inspired by. Yeah, okay, yeah. It, it, I mean, at the very least, it is inspired by, um, you know, the same, anybody of our generation, the same horror books that we read. <clears throat> As kids, um, they were written by Alvin Schwartz. There, there were three books. Are there four now? I think there was only three. Okay, um, but uh, yeah, it's directed by uh, Andre Uvredal, who uh, of course directed Troll Hunter and uh, three. The, huh? three. The three. Okay, um, and Autopsy of Jane Doe. Um, produced by Guillermo del Toro. You cocksucker. Yep. There it is. Uh, and Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. Um, so, yeah, and I know... Man, like, I feel like if I wrote a screenplay and I had a nerdy character, his name would be Patrick Melton. Like, that's just a nerd name. <laughs> nerd! <laughs> Fuck you, Melton! <laughs> Um, so this movie takes place in, uh, 1968, uh, starts out on a Halloween night and kind of progresses over the next, what, week or so? Yeah, it's never really specified how long exactly, but... Yeah, it takes place in the... Give or take. Yeah. Uh, it takes place in the town of Mill Valley in, uh, Pennsylvania. Not to be confused with Hill Valley. In California. In California. California. Near LA. LA. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So, yeah, this focuses on um, three friends, uh, Stella, Augie, and Chuck, um, who are just three best friends that anyone <laughs> could have. <laughs> They're three high school kids, um, probably junior, I think, kind of the presumption, I guess. Well, they keep talking about, like, this will be the last time we're together for... That's true. They must be seniors. They must be seniors, yeah. Um. Yeah, so they all they, they live in this town, um, and Stella has, uh, or she she loves horror. She's just like a classic horror fan. Um, she's a horror writer. Jesus Christ, Derby! What's he doing? Farted. Fuck. Oh, god damn it! Ah, it's in my mouth. Don't come over here with it. Um. Okay, so it centers around these three kids, uh, along with uh, another guy that they kind of run into by happenstance. He's um, new in town. <laughs> uh, a kid by the name of Ramon. Uh, and trying to think about what the important details are in this. Uh, so Stella's obsessed with horror, um, along with the town. And she's a writer. She writes her own scary stories. Right. And it's kind of... So the, the movie centers around... They they go into this, the, like, the town haunted house, which was... On Halloween. Yeah, which was occupied by a... The, the kind of, like, the founding family of the town. Um, these people that opened up, uh, this family opened up a paper mill that basically was like the town income for 
you know, a generation or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and then suddenly they, the whole family just disappeared. Um, around the time that one of their daughters by the name of, this is the, sorry, the Bellows family, one of their daughters, Sarah Bellows, um, it was kind of like this town lore that she, uh, I think she was an albino or is that something, yeah. was that something they discovered or was yeah, that, already... that was something they discovered later? Okay. So ignore that. <laughs> um, she was kept, held captive in this house. Nobody ever saw her. Um, but children would come to the house and she would tell them scary stories through the wall in this room that she was locked in. Um, on Halloween, Stella, Augie, Chuck, and Ramon, um, find this secret hidden room that she was kept in and they find her book, um, that she wrote all of her stories in. These kids, when they, they, they just march straight into this haunted house. Like they got Cerro Miedo, zero fear. And they, they just, um, (laughs) they walk right through the fence. They walk right through the front door. They're like breaking locks and picking locks and doing all this shit. And like never at any point is there any trepidation right they're just like oh let's go in here this is cool what's this is haunted okay cool let me rub it on my face like (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's like there's a lot of stuff in this or it's like a suspension of disbelief like you know how quickly this kid just picks locks with like he, he he takes the 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 clip off of a pen and just picks a padlock with it yep no like almost everybody in the theater was just like no <laughs> that's that wouldn't happen um and yeah so they find this book and um then like the town bully because of course there's a town bully because it's 1968 yeah uh he's you know got a letterman's jacket and carries around a baseball bat because <laughs> that's what bullies did yeah <laughs> um and this kid's like a fucking maniac too. Like he's like goes beyond being just an asshole, but he's like a drunken maniac. He reminded me so much of Ace from Stand by Me. Yeah, yeah, a mi- mixture of him and um, uh, Henry from It. It, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but like the the original It, like the greaser Henry. Mm, yeah, not not the shit kicking white trash one. Right. Um. Anyway, so. He comes and he locks him in the room for a while. But then Sarah's ghost just comes out of nowhere. And she's like this. Well, because Stella summons her. Because she says, Sarah Bellows, tell me a story. And that's like, the if you say, Sarah Bellows, tell me a story, then that awakens her. And it's the last story you'll ever hear. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh Sarah kind of takes form in like this sweeping shadow that'll just like cover the wall and, and you know, it's very Del Toro. Oh God. Yeah, it is. Um, and she, she unlocks the door and so they get out and, um, Stella takes this book with her. Um, and then through, this does not sit well with Sarah Bellas. No, she's like taking my shit. Find out what happens. When people take my shit, my shit, <laughs> my shit, <laughs> it's tie in. Uh, okay, so 
she has the book and she's you know looking through all the stories, which is just a big no no. Um, and then it comes to pass they find out or they realize that there's a brand new story in the book that came out of nowhere. Um, and it's the story Harold of, of Harold. Now anybody that read um, scary stories knows Harold. That's probably the most iconic story of all three books, I think. Um, and it's a story. I, I forget exactly what I meant. I meant to try and read at least one of the books before we watched this, and I just didn't get around to it. But I think the original story of Harold was that this woman like kills her husband and puts him out in the field as a scarecrow. Does that sound right? Vaguely. <laughs> okay. It's from part three, and I never read part three was all the it way part through. Three? Apparently, that's what I'm reading here. What? Part three was the one I knew the least. Okay. So I know part three was the one I had for a long time. Like, uh, I just, I didn't have all three books. That part three was the first one I got. And eventually I got the other two. Um, just keep going. I'm actually reading it. Right okay. Now. So, um, Anyway, uh, but the thing about these the story that's been written is it incorporates um, the 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 bully. God damn it! I'm I'm trying to Tommy, Tom. Yeah, so it incorporates the this boy Tommy into the story, um, and I don't want to like give away things that happen. And so I'm trying. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, so I'll just kind of sum things up. Basically, what's happening is that stories are being written in real time that are incorporating all of the people that were in the house that night. Tommy, um, then uh, Augie, and then Chuck, and then... Uh, Chuck's sister, Chuck's Ruth. sister, uh, and um, eventually Stella, and, and Ramon. Um, Sarah kind of comes for all of them in the form of these stories that are, that are being written. And it kind of gives the impression that these are just uh, f- like folk tales because the story that comes after Ramon is like, oh, I know this story. It scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. So I guess these are just stories that she, that Sarah tells and not necessarily ones that she's written. But it's kind of a nice little Easter egg, though, because Stella, at the when... Um, she invites Ramon back to her house after, I guess it was when they, when they left the, the, um, Bellows house, right? Yeah. Because his car was totaled. Right. Yeah. That was kind of fucked up. <clears throat> yeah. Tommy destroyed his car. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, when we kind of recap, uh, but he, he, he looks at Stella's typewriter and she's writing a story and it's the story of when the girl goes to Mexico and gets a dog, and it's actually a sewer rat. <clears throat> yeah, there's a couple times where the stories aren't like part of the movie, but they're kind of referred to. Mm-hmm. So I thought that, yeah, that was kind of a nice little addition. Even though they couldn't incorporate it into the main story, they Yeah, they did. just kind of tip of the cap. Yeah. Nobody in the theater when I saw it seemed to notice. Yeah. Or they just were very quiet about it if they did. Um, so the story of Harold is these two guys make a scarecrow, uh, based on a farmer that they hate named Harold. 
and uh, he comes to life. Why did I f- remember it being so much more intricate than that? I don't know. Okay, well, whatever. Um, so throughout the, the the movie, you know, each of these stories that are being written, and they they know it's been written. Um, in the case of Harold, Harold, the story's already written in this book. Um, but Stella's kind of like, this wasn't here before, and she runs her hand across the ink, and the ink is still wet. Um, but it's not ink. No. You'll have to watch the movie to find out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, Stella, she tries to return the book, but then it, it shows up again in her room, and, you know, she can't, they try to, do the classic things, it's like, oh, you try to burn it, try to throw it away, try to, you know, throw it in the ocean. They don't actually do that. But, you know, they, they try various methods of getting rid of the book, and it always comes back, like the cat. In the hat? No, just the, the cat came back. Oh. You know the song. Sometimes they come back. That, yeah, that's a movie. It is a movie. <laughs> By Stephen King. Yes, tie-in. <laughs> um, um, so, yeah, it just kind of becomes a a race against, not necessarily time, but Well, Sarah. they start realizing because they, they're like looking at the book and the one of the stories starts writing right in front of them. Right. And that's when they they really discover that the stories are coming to life. Yeah, but like with them and their friends, like the first one, Harold, you know, it involves Tommy, but they don't really put two and two together at first. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not like Tommy is a super uncommon name. Right. But yeah, um, then he doesn't show up to school the next day mm-hmm. and then a couple more days and Hank from Breaking Bad starts getting real concerned. <laughs> um, he, uh, so... Yeah, after Tommy doesn't come to school, and they they see the story of Harold, they go into the his family's cornfield, and they see this scarecrow that's wearing Tommy's clothes. So it's kind of like, okay, that's a little more than weird. Yeah, but we're still not sure. Right. Then they actually, yeah, they they watch a story being written, um, and it's the story of the big toe. And, and you know, if you've read the book, you know the story of the big toe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, then it lists the name of August, who obviously is Augie. Um, and that's when they kind of start putting it together that these stories are coming after them. It's kind of Sarah's uh, vengeance of sorts. Um, then, yeah, the story kind of starts to unfold. You find out some things about Sarah's family um, and, uh, you know, this and that. So uh, as, far, as far as the talking about the story itself goes i think i'll probably leave it there because it's it's not an anthology right but a lot of people thought it would be yeah well i i kind of i knew it would be a singular story but the way that it's told it has anthology elements totally um yeah so anyway what'd you think i thought it was pretty good Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's definitely a kid's movie. Yeah. But there are times when it pushes that PG-13. Yeah, it really does. There's some really dark stuff in this. Yeah. Um, not just horror either. No. Um, I mean, R- Ramon is Mexican. Um, this takes place in 1968, so it's around the time of Vietnam and, uh, and the Nixon election. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that that's always kind of going on in the background. I keep I kept waiting for that to have some kind of relevance because they kept like like the final night of the story takes place on election night, right? Um, and I kept waiting for that to have some kind of relevance, and it never really did, um, unless I completely missed it. But if you're just like incorporating those like deep dive, like mind fuck, like Jordan Peele type things into a kids movie. I think you're marketing the wrong audience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say it's a kid's movie. Um, because to me, that implies something a little more mild than what I saw. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a young kid's movie. It's, right. it's a, you know, early teens, mid-teens type movie. Yeah. I mean, there's foul language. Um, there's uh, uh, racism. I guess that's why I was saying Ramon, he's Mexican. And, um, you know, Tommy, when he's harassing all the kids, uh, he comes up to uh, Ramon's car and calls him a wetback. Mm -hmm. And then later on, and that that's why his, his car is destroyed, because while they're in the house, when Tommy leaves, he busts up Ramon's car and spray and paints wetback on, on the hood and the, and the trunk lid. So... There's, I mean, that's going on, and that was something that uh, I don't, I don't know if this is a widespread thing or just happened to be one thing that my wife happened to find, but some people are taking umbrage with that because it is a kids' movie. Um, yeah, I guess, but also it's just like, why are you highlighting racism? It's like because it was nineteen sixty eight. Happened. It's like, why would you cover that up? It's like you, you, you can't make a period piece and act like the sh- the bad shit that went on in that period wasn't happening. Yeah. Because that's how history repeats itself. When you start, stop teaching kids about the horrible things that happened, the Holocaust, look what's happening now. Yeah. It's happening all the fuck over again. I also, like, I found it a little easier to digest be- because Del Toro produced it. Like, you got a Mexican guy producing it, so sure. he's obviously, you know, okay with that being yeah. in there. And it wasn't put in there to be... Shocking. Or, I'm well. Yeah, was it there to be shocking to a, a degree? But not, not to be vindictive. The character was. Yeah. But the the its presence in the story wasn't. No. It was to create sympathy. Yeah. Um. And um. Yeah. I mean. Um. There's a kind of a somewhat of a reveal about Ramon later on. Do you think that's a spoiler? I don't. I don't know. I was just thinking about that too. Like it's not really a huge part of the story. Not really, but I mean it, it's kind of relevant to the time. I mean, yeah, like, you, you find out that Ramon is a draft dodger, right? And that's why he's like this stranger in town. You know, the the police chief starts giving hassle shit. him, and it just right off the bat, yeah, he's, he's at the gas station filling up, and it's a small town. And in the inherent nature of small towns, you get kind of curious about people you don't recognize. But this police chief comes up and starts jamming him up, just filling up his car. I will jam and jam until I can't jam anymore. You want to get jammed? Um, yeah, and he's he's doing it throughout the movie, and you find yeah he does research and into Ramon, and finds out that he's a draft dodger. Um, so I guess that's probably the most relevant part. Of the whole Vietnam era, I guess. 
but it doesn't really justify it. Yeah, like it, the fact that he was a draft dodger, like it made him, because they talk about how like you don't read the book, the book reads you, and like the stories are all relevant to the the person that it's happening to, and so his was like, oh, I'm afraid the book's gonna know I'm a coward. That was really the whole thing. Yeah. Um. Anyway, what did you think of the the look of it? Because I mean, everyone everyone knows um Stephen Gamble's art. Yeah. So what did you think about like how they translated that to real life? Um, so I felt like the art itself was only really translated into two events. Um, for the most part, I don't really think it was really all that involved in the movie itself. I mean, I'm talking about Harold and then, um, the big uh, toe. Well, kinda. I don't unless you have unless you're really familiar with the books, I don't think that one's gonna stand out all that much. Yeah, but I mean it's it's still like that style though. Sure. And then you had the the woman, whatever, I don't know what she's called. Yeah, I'm 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 having a hard time remembering <clears throat> that one. Um like those are three stories. They also have the red spot, but the the way they do the red spot does not lend itself to the artwork no not at all because it is uh i mean you've seen it in the commercial and the posters it's it's chuck's sister ruth and you know she you know in, in the stephen gamble art is dark hair kind of a big like stretched out face almost a very gaunt and yeah and Ch- uh, chuck's sister is she's a very pretty blonde girl um so anyway um I'm trying to, I'm still trying to figure out how I really felt about this. I guess I was hoping to have already done that by now, and I was kind of working through my working through my feelings as we're talking about it. Like I said, I think it was pretty good. I I wanted it to be better. Yeah, there it's it's very weird because there are parts of it that feel very kind of adult and very mature, but then like especially like the very end is so just childish and that was dumb i didn't like the end at all i'll tell you right now they set it up big time for a sequel oh yeah they are banking on making another one of these i keep seeing people talking about scary stories too scary stories tell in the dark too i'm like if they don't call it more scary stories to tell in the dark then what the fuck are they even doing yeah just fucking up (laughs) um like that's the only thing you can call it you call it more scary stories to tell in the dark or you don't fucking make it yeah um yeah, you know, the movie was over and we saw that ending and we're getting ready to leave the theater. And my wife says, do you think they're going to make a sequel? I'm like, well, there were three books. <laughs> well, they do. <laughs> yeah, um, and then you call the third one, Scary Stories, Three More Tales to Chill in Your Bones. There you go. Um, Maybe that's the plan. Maybe they want to make a trilogy. If they make more than that, then I think they're stretching it. Oh, for sure. Uh, what did you think of the whole Sarah Bellows element? I thought it was a good way to kind of get the stories in there. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I didn't really care for it. But at the same time, I don't know what else I would have done. Yeah. Um, aside from making it an anthology. Right. But then that would have changed the entire movie. Right. Um, yeah. 
I thought it was like interesting how they had Stella be an author, but that doesn't really ever come into play. Mm-hmm. Like I thought maybe she was going to like write something that saved the day or something, but that doesn't that never happens. No, it was always the the fact that she's an author was was basically irrelevant. Yeah. Um, I mean, until the very end where she kind of like, well, never mind, I'll leave that out. <clears throat> but yeah, I don't know. To me, I guess when it boils right down to it, um, even though these were stories based on what I read as a kid, um, it didn't feel like they were making a scary a movie based on the books. I could see that, yeah. That's just kind of how I, f- I felt about it. It, it. I didn't, I didn't get like a sense of nostalgia that I was expecting. Yeah, it's like I recognize the stories. It's like, oh yeah, I remember the big toe. But well, and I mean, like when they first announced this too, we talked about it, how it's it's such this weird kind of paradigm where like the people who read these books are the people who are our age, mm-hmm. and so it's like, do you make a movie for them, or do you make a movie for the audience that the books were for at the time and clearly they did the latter i I mean i think i kind of put it in between somewhere yeah um and that's the thing i think this movie is a good bridge between like you know things like hocus pocus or you know the halloween specials of tv shows and stuff to more you know serious horror yeah it's because it's it's not really either one yeah yeah this was not um, especially violent. It wasn't really. Uh, it, it wasn't gory Mm-mm. or gross so much. I mean, there were gross parts. Gro- yeah, but, parts. Um, and there were scary parts. Like you know, there were parts where they were were genuinely trying to scare the audience. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, when it boils down to it, it was geared for a younger audience, um, and maybe designed for people our age who are bringing their kids yeah to a movie about something from their childhood um but yeah like i said for me at least i didn't really get that sense that this oh well this is adapted from those books i read yeah they just happen to be the same stories so which isn't a bad thing it wasn't a bad movie just didn't really capture what i was really hoping for sure um yeah and i i know when they announced it was going to be pg-13 you got kind of bent out of shape about it do you really think it affected it as much as you thought it would well i mean like i said i wanted a movie that was made for the people who read the books mm-hmm. and so that would be you know well i mean the stories weren't exactly like terrifying and that's the thing it's like if they were to have made it a rated r movie um, I feel like they would have just been adding in violence and gore just and for the sake, just of for adding, the sake of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I don't think I was that butthurt about this being PG thirteen though, because I knew at the time like I, I was like, yeah, it's gonna be a kids thing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean the the whole you know infamousness of the books came from the art more than the stories themselves, because the stories are not super scary. Not really. They're not, like you said, they're not violent. They're not gory. They're not, you know, really, like, keep you up at night kind of stories. They're just, like, weird kind of 
you know, twist at the end stories and stuff. Yeah. To read them now, they're creepy. I think when you were a kid, I think they're maybe qualified as scary in, you know, in the right setting. If you're reading it late at night or... It's in the dark. Sure, yeah. If you're reading it late at night or you're by yourself or or whatever, maybe they're a little little more creepy. But today, it's just... They're creepy stories, but don't really creep you out, I guess. Yeah. I mean, like I was just saying, Harold is like, he's a scarecrow that comes to life. And that's really the whole thing. Yeah. Um, he doesn't kill anybody. He doesn't like go on a rampage or something. Yeah. Like he's, he just comes to life and it's like, ah. Yeah. Whereas in this, he does come to life and he chases down Tommy and puts a pitch through, pitchfork through his chest. Yeah. Which for me at first, I'm like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, me too. Um, but then I saw that. In doing that, there wasn't blood coming out yeah. of the holes. It was hay because you might as well say it at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess it, you know Tommy was turning into a a scarecrow. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm still just a little indifferent. I wasn't super impressed by it, but it wasn't. I guess I didn't really have high expectations. See, I think I did. Really? Like, it's just, you know, it's... When you put that name on it, like, it's you got to come correct. Yeah. And like I said, I thought I thought it was pretty good, but I did definitely want it to be better. Mm-hmm. I don't know how or what I expected, but I, I wanted it to be more than it was. Yeah. But I thought it did a good job of, you know, bringing the stories to life. And the stories are all super quick, too. They're all like one or two pages. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, to incorporate those into the movie without just being like this rapid fire thing. It's probably a tall task. Yeah. And I I do remember when they announced that they were making this. um, I don't remember if we discussed it or if it was just thoughts that I had that um, it's like because they were such short stories like how they were going to make those into a, a film. Right. Because otherwise you just have a bunch of like five minute shorts. And what's the point? Yeah. Um, so I, I do, while I wasn't a huge fan of the format that they used um, with the whole Cerebellos element, um, I, I do give them credit for coming up with a way to do it cohesively where it wasn't just like some nonsensical slap, you know, thrown together way of doing it. Yeah. So in that respect, you know, well done you. And you still, they they like, you know, made it so it's still a book. Right. I kept hoping, or I, I was hoping, ever since they, sh- they sh- showed the book, I was hoping that they'd find some way to incorporate uh, the art somehow. Yeah. Or at least, like, you know, like the, the, the replicate the cover of the books in some way. I don't know how that would have been, but I was hoping they would have done something like that, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, aside from just like having, you know, drawings in the book, I don't know what else they could have done. Yeah. Oh, well. 
Maybe they couldn't get permission from uh, what's his face? It's Gamel's estate. Yeah, when you talked to Cody, didn't he say they were kind of sticklers for that? Um. Yeah. I don't remember the details, but there was something about using his work. Yeah. I can't remember. <clears throat> anyway, um, I kind of think that's maybe all I got. I think that's all I got. Okay. So what do you say? Uh, I'm going to say seven. So I thought it was pretty good, and I, I think it's a good, you know, that kind of mid-age, I hate using the term tween age, but, you know, that group of, you know, kind of bridging into more, quote-unquote, real horror. Yeah. Eh, I'm, I gotta go six. It was, yeah, it, it was decent. I liked it, but it was, I kind of wanted more from it. Yeah, I feel you. All right. Well, we made it, guys. We have come to the conclusion of yet another episode of the Grave Flot Podcast. Yes, sir. And man, it feels good. Feels good. Good. I'm glad I recognized that we had it on the wrong audio. Yeah. Because <laughs> then we had a whole shitty episode. Um, cool. So we're going to be back again in a couple weeks with a brand new episode, wherein we'll be talking about two more films. Taylor, what are we going to be doing? We are going to be saying goodbye to summer with our salute to summer camp movies. Hey. We're going to be watching Friday the 13th Part 2. And Madman. <laughs> Madman. <laughs> we were supposed to have a guest. It just didn't happen. Yeah. Kind of a bummer. Yeah. Quite quite a bummer. Oh, well. I mean, I guess we could email him again, but I don't know. Eh. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. So look out for that, guys. Uh, till then, catch us on the internet. What am I doing? I don't, I don't even remember how I end these things. I mean, we've only done it 140 times. So. 139. Thank you. Well, actually more if you count in October Amas. And... Shut up. <laughs> Greatplotpodcast.com. <laughs> that is our website. You can catch us there. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram as Podcast or on Twitter as Grave underscore plot. Of course, listen wherever you listen to your podcasts. So, uh, rate, or rate, review, and subscribe. Send us an email. Let us know you did. We will send you some free stuff. And, of course, check out greatplotfilmfest.com. Submit your film if you're a filmmaker. Uh, if not, then look forward to tickets soon-ish. And patreon.com slash greatplotpodcast. Get exclusive content from your boys. Yeah, if you got a you know a little bit of scratch you're not uh, not spending, got something burning a hole in your pocket, give it, give it to us. Spare change. Real change. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're going to talk to you in a couple of weeks. Till then, I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. This has been the Grave Plot Podcast, where we're all a little dead inside. Sit down. Let me talk to you, kids. I'm going to tell you about a story. It might get a little gory, but I promise you that it will not be boring. 
gonna get banned, kidnapped, there's really monsters I'm telling you this because I've really seen them They're scary and hairy and eat up the kids with big old teeth and So you better be ready to run with the evil It's heavy to kill me, eating them kids and ready to feed Open the people and they're ready to feed you with cheese And they only get free with your dreams like Freddy on Elm Street So when you in the bed and you hear that noise Something's in the closet messing with your toys It could be a ghost, it could be a monster And he likes to eat little girls and boys I'm scared when they see me coming, let this be me. I'm scared. Stories. When they see me coming, let me tell you a story. Tell you a story. I know that if you will survive these twisted procedures and monstrous creatures, it's gonna be one hell of a ride. Listen, kids, this is sad. I don't know how you will react. Just last night, mommy got ate up by a monster bat with bigger wings and big old fangs, and he likes to eat little kitties' brains. And I'm scared. Why are you scared? They're monsters. You twisted insane. I get a bend the one that's gonna get bent at night. They're grabbing the bench and beat you, running away from the light. My heart's so wicked as fuck, my finger is never right. I'm running around and he ain't never been coming up into my sight. Maybe the hobbit that put you to do was it in their fight. It's all up and never day, and they get something like I live with me. In the beginning, I came on the center, and I ain't no good, and then they get a fucking ticket to kill him, and then I'm gonna I'm scared. Stories when they see me coming, let this scream and I'm scared. Stories when they see me coming, let me tell you a story.